Indeed, holy are you, Lord. We are so grateful, Jesus. We're so grateful for your life, your resurrection life. And Lord, I'm just so mindful of the communion of saints as we worship to that song of the more real. Mindful of those who've been so faithful that have gone before us and are alive even now in the land of the living. I even pray for those in the room today who just need an, just an infusion of the hope of heaven in their places of grief and loss and heartache. And in a special way, Holy Spirit, would you come and release comfort and hope? We're so grateful, Lord, that this is just not the end. There's more in you. So we're so grateful to be just gathered as the body of believers this morning in your presence, tasting a foretaste of what will someday be uh, our forever story. So we just thank you, Jesus, for your presence here and now with us. We thank you for your goodness. We just welcome your ministry in this space. And now, friends, I just invite you to pray along with me the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat this morning. Uh, good morning, friends, guests, visitors. We're so glad to have you with our Third Church family today. Um, I have the joy of introducing uh, to you this morning Bill and Christy Galtier of Soul Shepherding Ministries, who are uh, just becoming sweet friends of our Third uh, Church community. They've been with us ministering all weekend. They led a beautiful retreat for uh, regional ministry leaders on Friday. Uh, they led us at the Rhythms of Grace Conference Friday night and Saturday. And now you all have the joy of getting to sit under their teaching this morning, and we are just thrilled about that as well. One other uh, additional invitation, um, uh, tonight Christy's going to be sharing at our women's event, the Unhurried Spirit Gathering. Um, it's going to be at 6.30 in the auditorium. Um, no need to sign up, ladies, so if something is shifted in your schedule and you can come and join us, we would just uh, invite you to be there with us. Um, a little bit about Bill and Christy. They are doctors of psychology and the founders of Soul Shepherding. It's a ministry to help pastors, leaders, churches, and all those who are desiring to thrive with Jesus in emotional and relational health. So in their Soul Shepherding Institute's uh, retreats and training, they offer a certificate for serving as a spiritual director. They are also authors of a number of wonderful soul care books and resources that you're going to be able to uh, browse this morning. 
And they've been speaking and writing about following Jesus in life and ministry since 1987. They were personally mentored by Dallas and Jane Willard for many years, who is an author that has had a large influence on our community here as well. And you know, as I was thinking about them this morning too, one of the themes for our church family really over the last couple of years has been flourishing. We want to flourish in love for God. We want to flourish in love for neighbor. And we want to flourish in love for the world. And and when I think about uh, Bill and Christy and the gifts that they're bringing, bringing to the body of Christ right now as a whole, it's all kinds of wise, beautiful teaching and practical tools to actually help us to live into that flourishing life in love that Jesus has for us, both emotionally and spiritually. So I'm going to really strongly encourage you to check out some of their resources as you head out this morning. Um, But finally, and most importantly, Bill and Christy are really leaders of integrity. Uh, They're living out their message in their uh, marriage, in their leadership. Uh, um, And, you know, you're going to see this morning, they have this incredible partnership as they teach and lead. They have the aroma of Christ. Uh, When you interact with them, you're just going to sense that. And I shared earlier, I always want to learn from teachers and leaders who when they're through, I find myself um, more in love with who Jesus is. And I feel that's really what Bill and Christy carry. And so Bill and Christy, can I invite you up and we just welcome you to third this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Steph, and all of you at Third Church. It's such a joy and an honor to be with you this weekend, and we are really thankful to share with you this morning on seeing and savoring Jesus. It's really the most important thing of our whole lives, and in this series that you've been in on how Jesus changes lives, the heart of it really is to to see Jesus with the eyes of our heart, to savor Jesus. Jesus with the eyes of our heart, because all things that are good and beautiful and loving come from our our seeing and savoring of Jesus. And we're going to camp out in John chapter 9, verses 1 to 41. We're going to read the whole chapter together. It's an amazing story. We're going to lead you through that and uh, look at Jesus' ministry to the man born blind and uh, some other people in that story. We're going to uh, really come to understand the Apostle John who wrote this and some of his uh, lessons that he has for us. And so it's going to be just wonderful. And I want to just uh, open with uh, ministering to you uh, some verses from a different part of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. I just want to pray this over you if I could because it really expresses the heart of what we're uh, bringing this morning uh, Listen with the writer of Hebrews as he says, In the past, God has spoken to us through our ancestors and through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful 
word. And so after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. That's Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus the Son of God, the radiance of God's glory, the warmth of God's love, the smile that is on God's face. To see and savor Jesus is the very best blessing and the very most important thing about our lives. This morning, we were singing about the journey, the race that we're all on as we are created as eternal souls set out on a journey with Jesus, a journey that Jesus made and showed us how and invites us into and opens the gate for us too. And I don't know about you, but racing isn't anything I had much experience with or even much interest in, but I married a racer. I married a marathon man, including a Boston marathon man. He, he loves to run. He loves to race. And so I've supported him throughout our marriage, dropping you off at the, finish, the beginning and finding a place to cheer you on. But the year that both our oldest and middle daughter brought home their fiancés to be with us, to meet us, they said, hey, let's do a race together. All nine of us, can we do a race together? I was like, well, I'll support you. I'll, I'll drive, I'll drop you off. They're like, no, mom, join in with us. We want you to be a part of this. Don't miss out. Don't just be on the sidelines. I thought, oh, I'm not a racer. I don't know how to do it. They're like, you could do it. They gave me a vision to do it and invited me into the race. And Bill said, I'll train you. And I needed the training. So we got along and I started on my training program and I was running every day. And it was hard, and I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. And I kept running into roadblocks. Like, I got really bad knee pain, and I thought, oh, I can't do my training anymore. I'm not going to be able to run the race. But you came alongside of me, said, I'll help you through it. Gave me the physical therapy, bought me some knee braces. And I pushed through, and I kept running. It came the day, race day, and I was running. I started out at my own pace. The rest of the family was way ahead of me. They're much faster. They're more trained. But that's okay. I was running with Jesus and I was meditating on Philippians 4 to encourage me and keep me reminded that seeing and savoring Jesus even with me in this race. And as I got to mile six, I just wanted to quit. I was so tired. I just didn't think I'd make it to the end of the race. Got discouraged, started having doubts. I'm not made for this. I can't do this. But just then, Bill and my daughter started running back. They had already finished the race and they came back to finish that last leg with me and to encourage me. And I made it to the finish line because of that encouragement. And that's how it is for us as we are running our race. There's things that help us to see and see for Jesus to keep us going and push through those walls and roadblocks. So let's start into John chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read the first five verses as you read along with me. Uh, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so here we see that Jesus is sent by God. Sent is a very important word in John's gospel. It, uh, he uses this word 40 times. Jesus is sent on a special mission by God the Father, a mission to save the world from sin, a mission to reveal God's loving kindness and mercy to all people, uh, a mission to radiate with the love and warmth of God. He's sent as the light of the world, but many do not see. Many do not see with the eyes of their hearts that Jesus is the Son of God and that God is love and that they need a Savior. They need a Lord, a master, a teacher who will guide them, direct them, care for them, shepherd them. So then if we go to uh, verse 6 and 7. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Jesus healed the man who was born blind and now he could see. This is the sixth of seven signs that are in the Gospel of John. Sign is another very important word in the Gospel of John. John is the only one of the four Gospel writers who uses this term in this way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the synoptic Gospels that very much tie together. John is kind of an outlier. He's telling the same story, but from a very different vantage point, a lot more uh, contemplative, meaning a lot more reflective. He said he writes his Gospel last. He said a lot of time to pray and think about it, reflect on, on the stories of Jesus' life and what Jesus means to him and the ministry of the Holy Spirit since the, uh, uh, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And so John wants us to know that the miracles of Jesus have great significance beyond what we can see with our physical eyes. So where Matthew, Mark, and Luke record lots of miracles, John only records seven miracles, and each time he calls them signs. Signs. What are these signs? What does this mean if they are signs? John, John chapter 3, verse 2, in the message paraphrase, we have some great wording to help us understand what this means. They are, signs are God pointing, God revealing acts. That's what the miracles of Jesus are. They point to God and they reveal God to people. And so what John does is every time uh, Jesus does a miracle, he makes sure to show us that it's not just the miracle, but then Jesus teaches something based on that miracle. And this was something that, that prophets would do, uh, not that they would do miracles, but they would, would do different things that they would act out or they would show things that have happened around them uh, in the circumstances, and they would use that as an object lesson. They didn't have screens and audio visuals and all that kind of stuff. And so Jesus used the signs, the physical healings and feedings and miracles to teach spiritual lessons. And the spiritual lessons are even more important than the, the miracles. That's the sign. Uh, staying in John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, 
Unless a person is born from above, it is not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. All of the miracles Jesus is pointing to, the here and now reality of God's kingdom. The unseen world where we can be with our Father and with the Spirit of Jesus in secret. Wherever Jesus Christ is the King, wherever he is, the kingdom of God is, is waiting for us when we die in incredible glory in an eternal life. Praise God. But it's also in a, in a beginning way, here and now, in a spiritual way, in, in, a, in, a, in a full way spiritually, there is this unseen world that we can learn to live from as we live in the physical world. That's the gospel of Jesus. The kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And so the signs of Jesus are meant to show us this. So we can see and savor Jesus now, but there are things that get in the way, that block our way. There's resistances and roadblocks, just like there was for me in my race, and there is for me in my journey of the soul. Let's look at this passage again in John. What, what kind of resistances are we seeing here? First of all, we're seeing in John 9, 1 and 2, the disciples' resistance is they judge the blind man, saying that he is blind, that it's his fault because of his sin. And their judgment is keeping them from seeing and savoring Jesus. Some other resistances, let's read about now in John 9, verses 9 to 12. Did you put the slide up for me? Thank you. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes and told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. You see, even here, the neighbors were not able to see and savor Jesus because they lacked vision themselves in a different way. They were caught up in their own paradigm. They didn't recognize that God was in their midst. And let's read on to another resistance. So in John 9.13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And reading on, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. You see, the Pharisees were running into the resistance of ego because they were holding on to control and power and position they didn't want to give that up, and that kept them from seeing and savoring God in their midst. 
Let's continue to read as we, in John 9, 18. They still did not believe that they had been blind and received his sight, and then they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said to him, he is of age. Ask him. Fear. Fear of what other people think of us. Fear of loss of resources of what we need. Fear of loss of control. These things are resistances. Just like the blind man's parents resisted seeing what Jesus had done for their son because they were afraid of the Jewish religious leaders casting them out and the consequences there. So our fears can be resistances and keep us from seeing and savoring Jesus. Our opportunity is to be like the blind man and learn to see and savor Jesus. To be like uh, the Apostle John, uh, who especially learns to see and savor Jesus in the writing of his gospel and in his whole life. And so in John chapter 9, we see a journey, a progression, a development of discovering how to see and savor Jesus. Look at the blind man's uh, journey. First, he, he lacks spirit. He, 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 uh, first, he sees Jesus only as a man. And in what Christie was reading, he refers to, well, who, who healed you? Who did this? Well, the man they call Jesus, he told me to put mud on my eyes and wash in the pool of Siloam. He just refers to Jesus as a man. Then uh, that's in verse 11. Then in verse 17, again from Christie's reading, he refers to Jesus as a prophet. So he, a greater revelation of Jesus, a, a more a wonderful, powerful acknowledgement that Jesus is a prophet. Now let's read in John chapter 9, starting in verse 24, and see a further progression here. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. They asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, 
you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. They ostracized him from the gathering place, from his community. They put shame on him for the rest of his life as he walked about the village amongst the people. It was at this point, though, that the man born blind who now sees is coming to see spiritually and we see the progression continue because he identifies in verse 33, he came from God. Jesus came from God. A special mission of being sent from God. Now let's continue and finish the passage picking up at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, Son of Man means Messiah. That comes from Daniel. It's not like emphasizing Jesus' humanity. It's actually emphasizing his divinity, that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He worshiped Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of the world. This healed man was not only healed in his eyes, he was healed in his heart. And he is seeing and savoring Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, the Son of God, who is the radiance of God's glory. And it changes everything for this man. How, how do you see and savor Jesus? What, what, what helps you to soften your heart and to appreciate the Lord, to see and savor Jesus. It's really the critical question of our life, not only in becoming a Christian, of course, most importantly there, but really every moment of every day as we go about in our lives in this world. What helps, what helps you, what helps me become the kind of person that sees and savors Jesus? Christy, what helps you to see and savor Jesus? Worshiping together this morning was one thing that really helped me today. Um, seeing Jesus in the beauty of the body of Christ here at Third Church this weekend has helped me to see and savor Jesus. Time in your lighthouse of prayer, praying, meditating on scripture, praying breath prayers of, of scripture over and over again, helping me connect my soul, my longing for God to Jesus. Yeah, for me, seeing and savoring Jesus, uh, I, what, all these things you mentioned I relate to, but maybe my go-to is studying the Bible, uh, meditating on Scripture. And I've been so blessed in our ministry of soul shepherding that as I do that and God ministers to me and teaches me through my sins and my struggles, then I'm able to share that with other people. And so uh, one example is uh, in my book, uh, Your Best Life in Jesus, Easy Yoke, it tells the story 
of me as a workaholic, as uh, being in a hurry all the time and being stressed and uh, how I learned to live in Jesus' easy yoke and work and serve in Jesus' easy yoke. And the key has been studying uh, Jesus in the Gospels. And so many of the different things in Jesus' life, as you know, Christine has studied with me, but like, for instance, um, my difficulty with setting boundaries, uh, both in terms of uh, Jesus, of course, is so loving and caring to people and wants us to be, but then sometimes we, we need limits. We need to take care of our own self. And so studying how Jesus did that, how he had boundaries for his intimacy with the Father, how he had uh, space to, to pray and to go on retreat, to be nourished, or things like uh, being anxious or being stressed or being in a hurry. And it's like, well, how did Jesus deal with the stress in his life and to see that he was not hurried and studying those verses and then meditating on that and applying that for me so that I could be in his easy yoke. I could get next to Jesus and walk with him and work with him. That those gospel stories helps me to see and savor Jesus. And then when I get to spill over and share with you what, what I've been learning and how God has been helping me, that helps me to see and savor Jesus. We have gotten to help people see and savor Jesus. We have gotten to be like my daughters and run to people when they're at their wall, when they want to quit and help them to see and savor Jesus. As we have studied the stages of emotional and spiritual development as doctors in psychology and as therapists, we've found that there are different stages of emotional and spiritual development that we're all in. And in each stage, we see and savor them differently. And so if we'll put up the diagram of the Christ stages here that we write about in our, in our book, Journey of the Soul, we first see and savor Jesus in the confidence in Christ stage. Like John, when he first came to see Jesus and to follow Jesus, we're born from above. We see the opportunity at hand. We're responding to Jesus' invitation. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's for you right now. Come, follow me. And then as we grow along the way, we get help in discipleship. We need somebody to train us. Like on my race, I needed Bill, somebody who knew the way, who knew what roadblocks I'd run into to train me along the way. And that's what we get in our help and discipleship. And then after some years in help and discipleship, we begin to grow to where we have things to give and we can help others in their discipleship. And we enter into responsibilities in ministry. And this is a stage where we get to see Jesus at work through us, like on your impact ministries that we saw in the video this morning and heard people giving testimony to. It's wonderful when we get to, Enter in to seeing and savoring Jesus and participating and teaming in the body of Christ through serving him. But after some years in those first three stages, we usually hit a wall, a wall of doubt or burnout or personal crisis or faith crisis or a blowout of a moral failure or a sin. And we begin to doubt and think, I'm not, I don't know where Jesus is. I'm not experiencing him anymore. I'm not sure if I believe What's happened? I've lost my vision or I've got e over ego attached again or fear has taken me out in my journey. But at the wall, if you get help and you do the inner journey work of the next season there, 
That is a season of great healing and ministry and renewal where your good shepherd restores your soul. And then you get called into the spirit-led ministry stage, a season where you get to be out venturing on the Lord, feeling the wind of the spirit in your cells. It, it is a joyous time seeing God use you as you overflow the abundance of him filling your cup. And then in transforming union, we are seeing and savoring Jesus like the disciple John did. And we're going to continue to talk about that and look at this in the life of John. So like Christy said, I've uh, enjoyed running many races, also done some triathlons. And one time I was doing a triathlon uh, with our son, and I was very slow in the swim. Uh, and then I was on the bike, which is the middle element, and then the final element is, is a run. And so on the bike, I was passing, when I got on my bike, I was passing a lot of people. And every racer enjoys the thrill of passing people. I'm flying 20 miles an hour on, on my bike down the highway. And then all of a sudden, the chain falls off my bike. Over the side of the road, turn my bike upside down, get my hands all greasy, putting the chain back on, get back on my bike. I mean, you know, bikers are just flying by me. I lost all this ground. So I'm back on my bike and I'm just, I put my head down and I'm pounding on those pedals and I'm just going and going and blowing and I'm passing people. It's like, oh, this is great again. I'm passing people. I'm passing people. Chain falls off again over to the side of the road, turn the bike upside down, get my hands all greasy and all these bikers are flying by me again. So I get back on the bike again and I'm pounding on the pedals and I'm passing people, pass. I mean, third time I'm passing people, the third time. And this one guy, he just kind of like looks right over me and goes, man, you are strong, but stupid. <laughs> strong, but stupid. So I'm on my bike the rest of the race and I get to think about this. My name is Will I Am. I'm tough. I don't get tackled on the football field. I spin off. I keep powering my legs. I work hard. I've, I've got grit. I'm, I'm determined. I'm strong. But sometimes I'm stupid. Like, tune up your bike before the race, Bill. I would have saved a lot of time. And, well, I didn't think about that. I, I didn't, didn't finish my training program. I didn't think, include my bike in the training program. You know, in, in the spiritual life, I can be like that. Determined, tough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it and, and do my all for God, but then wear myself out and not depend on the presence of the Spirit of Jesus, not depend on God's grace, not remember to smile as I serve because I have reason to be happy because I'm alive with Jesus in the Father's world. And so I think we're all probably prone in different ways at times to be strong but stupid. And trying hard in the spiritual life is important, but it's not sufficient. And so what we teach in uh, our Easy Yoke book is don't just try, train. We need to train with Jesus through these Christ stages of faith. Christ is an acronym. Christy just went through. We train in each of these stages that we're, wherever God has us, we train with Jesus, being with Jesus to become more like Jesus. And that is the power of our life, our work, our relationships, the source of our love and joy and peace. It's training to be in the presence of Jesus, even habitually oriented around prayer and trust and submission to God. 
So in our growth, if you look at this slide, we will hit a wall if we are only training spiritually and we are not seeing or savoring Jesus in every aspect of our soul, even down to the areas of our emotions. And even if we are doing some training and growth and emotional growth, but we don't see and savor Jesus, we don't see our sins and our need for savor, we will hit a wall in our growth as well. But when we train and we grow in our every aspect of our soul, it's catalytic, our growth in Christ, and we grow into greater intimacy with Jesus as we see and savor him. Let's look at this in John's life, the disciple that Jesus loved. John, he's one of the sons of thunder, and he was in his early season of ministry with Jesus and responsibilities in ministry and in helping discipleship and going along and helping discipleship, watching Jesus, learning from Jesus in his ministry. And he sees the Samaritans be rude to them and not offer hospitality. And John's emotions get the better of him. And he gets angry and he asks Jesus to call down fires of judgment upon the Samaritans. He hasn't yet been formed in Christ-like love. He hasn't seen and savored all of Jesus yet. And then we see him later, he goes along later, and he's getting a little ego attached as he's been sent out, given responsibilities in ministry, sent out a mission, seeing signs and miracles, and he gets a little egocentric about how God's entrusted him, and he asks to sit at the right hand of Jesus in his kingdom. Another resistance, another lack of emotional, spiritual health and development in his soul journey. But Jesus forgives him, is always there, helps him beyond the wall that he encounters upon Jesus' death at the cross. And we see John later in this intimacy of these later stages of faith. The Apostle John learns to see and savor Jesus. And my favorite way that we see this is in his gospel five times, he refers to himself anonymously as the disciple Jesus loved. That's his identity, that's his source of well-being, is to be the disciple that Jesus loves. How about for you and for me, what if we were to live with this identity? I am the disciple Jesus loves. I am the student that Jesus loves. I'm a friend of the Lord. And to base our identity on that, not what our peers say about us, not on our performance, not whether we're pleasing people well, not whether we're successful or looking nice, or, or even how uh, fruitful we are in serving God. But if our identity is based on our relationship with the God of grace, who loves us unconditionally, as Jesus shows us, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. When I got a hold of this, I practiced a spiritual discipline that I bet you've never thought of. I started skipping. I'm the disciple Jesus loves. I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Now, some of you look like you haven't skipped in a while. And I know you're thinking, Bill, that's kind of silly. That's the point. Is there, is there a child in me and in you? When we were kids, we skipped. Would you maybe skip a few steps sometimes, perhaps when nobody's looking, and say, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. You, your joy will come over your face and your body, and there is nothing happier for us, no greater blessing than being loved by God through Jesus and being the disciple Jesus loves. 
this is an expression of seeing and savoring the Lord Jesus Christ. To base our identity and our life on being the disciple, the student that Jesus loves. Because in any situation, any trial, any difficulty, maybe at the wall even where we feel stuck in our journey with Jesus, stuck in these Christ stages of the journey of the soul that we write about, even in these dark times of stuckness, we can pray, my life, this situation, is Jesus' school of discipleship for teaching me God is near. Even if I'm not feeling it now, God is near and I can trust the Lord. I am the disciple Jesus loves. Let's just pray together on, on this thought, this great lesson that comes from the life of John, the beloved disciple. I invite you just in the quiet of your heart to pray these words, this affirmation, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Could you just repeat that in, in quiet prayer? I'm the disciple Jesus loves. I like to smile as I pray that. Even if I don't feel happy, because I have reason to be happy. Try smiling your prayer as you, as you just pray, Lord, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for revealing to us that God is our loving Father, our Papa. Holy Spirit, you continually remind us of the person of Jesus drawing us closer to Jesus. Deep within our hearts, Holy Spirit, you pray, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. We read this in the Bible. You're helping us to see and savor Jesus as you do. Oh God, this is the joy of our lives. Every person on the planet, if they could know this and live into this, the people in our circles of influence, our neighborhoods, how we pray that they could come to see and savor Jesus and discover it's really true. I too can be the disciple Jesus loves. In Jesus' name, amen. We would love to continue to help you on your journey to see and save your Jesus. We'll be back at our resource table and would love to talk to you.